Good morning and welcome into the show. It is Daniel Wertman coming to you live from the Dreamaginate Sports Studios. It is 9 a.m. on the East Coast. This is your 6 a.m. super early morning wake-up call out west in all time zones in between and around the world. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome into the show. If this is your first time watching or listening, I'd like to welcome you to the party. And what a party it is. Uh, yesterday, U.S. soccer finally made official the worst-kept rumor that broke uh, big last week. It's been rumored behind the scenes, whispered behind the scenes for months, as Taylor Twelman confirmed he had been hearing rumblings of this for about six months. U.S. soccer officially announced the cancellation, the termination of the Development Academy program it is over done dusted in the bin uh on tomorrow's show we are going to go through uh some things uh concerning the development academy and get into some specifics um about uh, how this uh, came about and and what um what we have learned uh, over the last uh, 24, 48 hours uh, in terms of the aftermath of, of how we got here. Uh, but today, the, the important news is, is that it's done. It's over. The rumor has been confirmed by U.S. soccer. And with it came a slew of uh, other personnel moves that were announced. Uh, Brian Ramiti um, uh, was uh, let go today by U.S. soccer. He was uh, had been the interim CEO uh, in the in the absence of uh, Dan Flynn, who had retired, and uh, he was let go uh, yesterday as well. And uh, as well were were some others, including technical staff. Uh, the chief, uh, I think, talent and inclusion officer, she was let go. Um, you know, when when we look at uh, the the day as a whole. Uh, there have been a lot of days where we've had a lot of drama, a lot of days where things have been going on and, and, and you know, it, it, it's been uh, crazy. Uh, yesterday was a day where it was just, it was like drinking out of a freaking fire hose. Um, there was so much information coming out. Brian Remedi, uh, you know, being fired. Uh, the chief talent and inclusion officer, Tanya Wallach, uh, being fired. Uh, the, the, the technical department, um, many of those coaches and others that worked with the Development Academy, fired. Uh, all cost-cutting measures is, is, is uh, some of the things I've heard. U.S. soccer in their own statement used this pathetic, weak excuse about COVID-19. Um, look, COVID-19 was not an issue for the country or the world six months ago. This this, this conversation that was such a disingenuous statement uh, from the new CEO, uh, CEO, Will Wilson, President Cindy Parlo-Cone, as well as Ernie Stewart, uh, the technical director Director, um, for the sporting director for the federation to say that that the COVID nineteen uh, is, is at fault here. It's not COVID nineteen. This this decision, as Taylor Twelman pointed out, and many others have talked about, uh, has been a, a decision coming in the works for quite a while. COVID nineteen was the convenient excuse uh, excuse used for why it was shut down yesterday. 
but it's been coming. It's been coming for a long time. And uh, there's a lot of good things, a lot of bad things. And we're going to get into uh, some of the aftermath, some of the things that have happened, some of the things we could learn from it uh, coming up in just a minute after the break with Tom Sawinski. And again, tomorrow, we're going to get into more in terms of the details surrounding uh, yesterday's announcement uh, with the Development Academy, MLS, um, uh, the timing of their announcements, as well as the, the the timing of the announcement with North Carolina FC, why that is a big deal. That's going to be something we're going to get into tomorrow as well. That's a telltale sign of some things that we've talked about recently on the show, how we ended up with Will Wilson in the first place. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of things we're going to get into tomorrow in that regard uh, as to what's really going on here. What are we really hearing about um, why, why this decision was made, how we got here, uh, as well as some of the timing and some of the other things. And so uh, I look forward to, to, to covering that in even more detail tomorrow. And we're going to get into some of those things today with Tom Sawinski coming up right after the break. He is a board member with U.S. Youth Soccer. So uh, uh, look forward to, to bringing you that uh, here in just uh, a minute. Before we do, our sponsor this half hour is Ductic Brand, D-U-K. TIGbrand.com. They're offering a combo pack right now. Go to ducticbrand.com and you can see it. Uh, it's got some different journals, notebooks, etc. Uh, when you place an order, you get 10% off. DW Show is the promo code to use. I'm not sure if that promo code works with this spe- uh, special bundle, uh, but uh, it does work on most of their products. 10% off when you use the promo code DW Show at ducticbrand.com. We'll be right back after this. Today, we appreciate it as always. Joining us on the show is a friend of the show and a friend of ours, Tom Sawinski. Tom, how are you doing today? Daniel, I'm doing 
well. It's great to be back. How are you? I am uh, hanging in there, trying to stay coronavirus free. Um, and we all uh, are right, right. And my, my, uh, my heart goes out to everybody right now. It's it's such a difficult time, and uh, I know so many kids around the the country would love to be out playing, but. You know, we got to stay safe. We got to stay healthy, and you know, uh, we'll be together again soon, playing. And uh, until then, it's it's good to catch up and talk with you. Yeah, man. Thanks for uh, for coming on the show and spending some time with us. Um, obviously, uh, the news broke about the uh, U.S. Soccer Development Academy and uh, the termination of the program and the project. Uh, all indications are this was not um, a, a knee-jerk reaction. It, it was in the works for a while. Um, Taylor Twelman uh, tweeted that he's been hearing about uh, something along these lines for about six months. Um, maybe not necessarily this particular timing, but that this uh, program was going to come to an end. Uh, that news was made official Um and and now we're looking at uh, a lot of clubs, a lot of families, a lot of uh, players uh, displaced, trying to figure out what the future looks like. And before we get to that, I just wanted to get your thoughts uh, about the Development Academy um, and and what are some lessons that you think we could take. Uh, whether they're whether they're positive things that you saw that 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 we should take into the future in, in whatever um, you know comes in its in its wake or or some you know negative things that it's like ah well maybe this should be tweaked in the future things that we could find to do better um, what were your thoughts on the development academy and and the announcement that was made you know, first of all, I think, you know, it, it was certainly well-intentioned um, in creating the, the DA. Um, you know, when, when, we, when we talk about, you know, developing players and getting them ready to play at the highest level, you know, there was an intention to say, hey, let's try and model it after some of the countries that have been successful, especially when we look across the pond over to, to you know, like England or what, you know, Germany did when they restructured. And so the, the intent was noble. I think where, where it, it fell down a little bit was the fact that, uh, the DA was centered around certain geographic cities and, you know, some areas had more DAs than others and, and you had states that didn't have a DA. Right. And so it, while, while trying to improve the overall level of play, it cast a very narrow net and where, where, where one of the areas where I think it fell down was the fact that we weren't finding all of the people and the, the, the kids that were in it while they were very talented you look at where the men's national team went because remember the DA up until recently was just focused on the men's teams. And you look at where we went from qualifying for the Olympics and being a competitor in so the Olympics or into the, um, uh, the world cup to the last world men's world cup. We didn't even qualify. Um, and, and so I think that's very telling that the, the changes that they had done while noble and in intention, obviously were not having the impact. And so I think, you know, they're, it's it's good to reassess and it's good to say, uh, you know, this is not working, you know, let's try something else. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk around, you know, obviously, you know, COVID-19 having an effect on this. And there was a significant amount of money that uh, U.S. U.S. soccer put into the development academy. You know, there was a lot of staff associated with it. Unfortunately, a lot of those, those staff lost their, lost their jobs today. Um, and it, 
when you take a look at what COVID-19 is doing to a lot of organizations, whether they're nonprofits or, or, or companies, um, a lot of workers are having to get uh, furloughed or let go uh, because their companies are not making any money. And, you know, U.S. US soccer has a, you know, when you take a look at their their revenue streams um, and everything is all public, so I'm not saying anything that nobody does that should or shouldn't be able to see. Uh, a lot of their revenue comes from, um, you know, the national team games, the exhibition games. Um, you know, it's it's the media rights and the fact that we're not able to play or go to those to those games has has certainly affected the top line of of U.S. soccer. And so I do think that uh, there's been rumors for a while about the DF, that the, about the demise of the DA. And I do think that, um, you know, unfortunately, COVID-19 um, did did play into probably accelerating um, accelerating that and the fact that uh, there's probably going to be no season this year at all spring. Um, I think everything will end up getting canceled just looking at the way the country is going from this pandemic. Uh, they, they probably just decided, you know what, it's probably time to just pull the plug a little bit early. So uh, that leads me to um, kind of the next uh, point of this progression, uh, looking at the Development Academy, is the aftermath. The, the, this announcement, uh, I've read several comments um, about clubs, DA clubs, uh, um, what are now, I guess, uh, kind of like Prince, the artist formerly known as Prince, the, art, the clubs formerly known as DA clubs, um, who, who put out, you know, uh, announcements to their own memberships uh, and to others basically saying, look, we were not really included in this process. We didn't know anything about this. We've been waiting and the hammer kind of dropped on us. We were not prepared for this, blah, blah, blah. Like this is some of the immediate aftermath uh, of, of the communications and the announcement from the Federation. Um, and, and so I, what are your thoughts on this immediate aftermath? Where does this leave clubs? Where does this leave families and players um, trying to figure out, you know, what does, what does the future look like when we are able to eventually uh, hopefully sooner rather than later, get back on the field and start training and look, look to, you know, be in matches and playing matches. What does the future look like without this giant hole uh, uh, being filled in, in the development Academy that, that was something, even though it wasn't in all the States. And I I've been very critical of the DA um, over the years, uh, but for the players and the clubs and the families who were in the DA uh, that's over, that's gone. It's not there. It's not going to be something they can come back to, uh, when this uh, pandemic uh, crisis situation, um, you know, begins to to wind its way down, so what is the aftermath? What, what is your, you know, what are your thoughts on what families and clubs and players should be looking at at the moment and trying to figure out, you know, answers of of what their future may look like? Well, I mean, certainly the immediate aftermath, there's a lot of questions. Uh, there's a lot of concern, a lot of anxiety. Um, you know, there's been so many questions that I've been fielding even this spring around, but what are we going to do about tryouts? And, you know, the chances of, you know, of, of tryouts being this spring is going to be very difficult given what's going on. Um, for, for parents out there whose, whose, whose sons or daughters played in the DA, um, 
and for clubs who were former DA, I would say be patient. Don't make any rash decisions. Um, there's a lot of a lot of people that are trying to make pitches now, uh, trying to convince clubs to clubs and teams to move to their league. And what I would say is, there's there's no need to rush. You know, nothing's going to take place until the fall. There is a there is a timeline to this because, you know, hopefully we'll all be back playing in this this you know by August September. But wait and see what's going to happen. See see what MLS says further. You know, MLS has reached. You know, you know they sent out a press release today that, you know, it sounds like they're going to be filling the void. Uh, you know, uh, ECNL is out there trying to. Um, you know, pick up clubs and look, ECNL did a great job with the, with the girls program in the absence of a girls development academy, the, you know, the ECNL was really where the girls wanted to go. So it's natural for a lot of clubs to say, Hey, I've already had my girls in the ECNL. I'm going to put my boys in there. Right. Um, so I, I understand that, but a lot of times, you know, the knee jerk reaction sometimes is not the best reaction long-term. And so be patient, let the dust settle a little bit. You're going to probably hear more um, that's, that's a, that, that is coming out. And, and as you learn more to make the best decision for your club, you know, I've talked with some directors of coaching today of clubs and they're great people. They're about developing players and about, you know, developing good teams. And one of the things that I know they will do is they will make the right decisions for their players and their clubs. And so, you know, trust the people that you know you're already interested in developing your 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 son or daughter, and uh, they will find the right place for you to go. Uh, is there a clear path at this moment? No, and that level of ambiguity is going to give anxiety for people. But resist the the the, the knee jerk reaction. At some point, you know, things will start becoming clearer for people and. What is good about this happening now is that it gives people time. You know, if, if, if they cancel this right before the fall season, like, yeah, it'd be a big, big shock. But they canceled it, you know, in, in, in the, the middle of April, and it gives teams and clubs a chance to, to determine what their path is going to be. Um, and, and to do that in a, in a conscious and, and, and a smart manner, not just in a reactionary one. Uh, but at the same time, we've got a lot of great people that have been, you know, working in the DA that were, you know, coaches, administrators. They've learned what went well. They learned what didn't go well. And and like anything, um, you're you're always going to try and improve it. And my expectation is is that uh, we'll take the good things from the DA, and we'll take the lessons that we've learned from it on things we want to change, and and we're going to make it better. We'll make it perfect. Maybe not, uh, but I, I think that what, what what whatever is going to come after this, it'll be a better incarnation, and I'm hoping it's going to be a much more inclusive one that gives a clearer pathway for for young players. Speaking of young players, um, you know, looking at youth development, 
the development academy for some players in this country, a very small uh, number compared to the, 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 the numbers of registered players in this country, um, was a pathway for talent identification, uh, maybe placement in a major league soccer academy. Uh, maybe it would give them the ability to get uh, scouted by some overseas scouts as well. Um, you know, but for most kids in the country, the development academy was a non-existent. You might as well have been talking about a different country. Uh, the development academy had no presence whatsoever, uh, no visibility, no access, no opportunity, etc. Um, and and so clubs that are left in the wake of the, of this aftermath of the the DA termination um, and and the players and the families that are involved as well as those clubs and and families and players who weren't in the DA maybe didn't even live uh, in a state as you mentioned uh, that had a development academy um, you know looking at youth development I think a lot of times people uh, get caught up in American soccer too, too much, too often on labels, you know, elite premier, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. Just marketing slogans or empty pitches that, that are, are, um, there to entice parents to, to typically pay more money, but they don't necessarily mean development. So looking at the, the aftermath of the development, uh, development Academy for these players and families and clubs that may or may not have been in the DA, um, what is, what is, uh, or what are some important things while families right now are in, you know, um, this this pandemic crisis looking trying to figure out uh, you know obviously at this point as you mentioned a lot more questions than answers from a youth development side what are some things that they should be looking at in terms of their own son or daughter uh, and and clubs you know are there some things they should be looking for in terms of how coaches conduct themselves how often they train uh, where they travel to where they play or where where they've played in the past and are, are looking to play in the future like what are some of those questions or topics or things that could help a family right now at least e- maybe not have a, a, a workable solution because as you mentioned, there's, there's a lot of things I think that are going to come out over the next few weeks and months uh, uh, with the, with the aftermath of the DA, you know, what comes in its place. But um, as we're waiting on that, what could families right now be doing to evaluate their current environment and maybe possible future environments that, that they should be seeking out in terms of uh, player development? Well, certainly, you know, right now where, where I don't think any, any teams are, are currently playing organized sport, uh, I would encourage your kids that they're not currently getting, uh, uh, you know, training and, 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 and homework assignments from their current clubs or coaches to go online. There's a lot of resources, you know, I'll make a plug for US Youth Soccer because it's, you know, I'm on the board there, um, but we've got resources that, that give you drills that you can do to take home, but you can go out on Instagram, you can follow, you know, any state association, any club. There's so much material out there on, you know, various challenges that they give you in terms of helping to develop yourself. Um, I think every player should be on a, on a, on a regular regimen where they, they, they do some level of conditioning. You know, you take a look at a player that plays, you know, 45 minute match 11 v 11 
they're going to run six to seven miles on average per game, right? If they, if, if they play a full, the full 90. So, you, you know, getting out and running a few miles uh, a, a week, um, you know, each time is going to keep your body in shape. So one of the things that you have to do is certainly take care of yourself and, you know, continue to eat right, continue to get good sleep. Um, but, you know, as long as you're being a good person, your homework's done, like I tell my own boys, uh, you, you still got to go out and work on, on, on your game. It's like anything to, to, to keep developing. But then as parents start taking a look at, um, you know, a, do I, do I like my club? How is my club developing players? Um, or B, am I looking at evaluating, evaluating a different club to go to? You know, it's not just about, you know, the wins and the losses, the hardware that you win. Like that stuff's important. Don't, don't get me wrong. But, you know, if, if, if you really want to judge a coach, it's not on their one loss record. How many players that play for you have gone on to college? And played in college, whether it's a division one, two, three school, right? You know, so so you want to talk with those coaches and say, like, if my kid comes and plays for you, where can they go? Right. And and so understanding that pathway. How many of your players, if you're at a local club and you know, you're playing at a, you know, a premier or a um DA level, how many of your kids go on to play for the local MLS club? Like what's your success rate? You know, because that's talking about developing players. It's not about the one-loss record. It's not about goal scorer, but it's about how is that player developing. And you know, my my son just came back. I'll I'll make a plug for um, a friend of mine, Todd Bean. He's a New Hampshire native, like I am, and uh, he's got an academy over over in Sitges, Spain, called Tovo. Um, he's he's married to uh, Johan Cruyff's daughter Chantal, and so he learned the Cruyffian model and. Um, seeing how he focuses, he focuses on, you know, the kids being able to a, can you find space and B, can you exploit space and teaching them, you know, not just, you know, here's how you trap, here's how you pass, here's how you shoot, here's how you have a ball. Right? In America, it's like, you know, do all these individual skills, you put them all together. You're a great player. He challenges the players to think differently. What am I going to do? How do I move a little while ago? not qualifying for the last world cup, you know, our women, great team pops in the world for a long time now, but you, know, you take a look at the last world cup and they had some very close one, nothing games to, 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 to get to the final. And our women's team is still on top, but the rest of the world is starting to catch up. So what do we need to do to continue to stay on top? And how do we want to continue to develop players so that we always have that competitive edge and our women's team stays, stays up there because, you know, you take a look at, you know, whether it's, you know, the French or the English or the, the Chinese, uh, Japanese, I mean, they, they've got some very good teams that could potentially beat the women. And how do we, how do we continue to stay on top? And that's where I think at this point in time in our juncture, while this is a very big shock for people, it allows us to kind of sit back, rethink and say, how do we learn from the past, take the good pieces, take the, from the, you know, the, the, what we, what we learned didn't go the best way or the right way. And how do we make it better and how do we improve upon it? And we continue to move forward. And will it be a hundred percent perfect this next go around? My mindset is no, it's not going to be a hundred percent perfect, but will it be better than what we had? Yes, it will. And so I would 
just, you know, caution parents to, um, don't make any rash decisions. Um, you know, if you like your club and you like where you're playing, there's, there's no reason not to continue to stay. If you like your coaches and how they're developing your son or daughter stay. Um, but focus on the development of the player and where coaches are developing players to get to, and not just necessarily on a coach's one loss record. In, in terms of the DA, um, and youth development, there were a lot of conversations surrounding this idea that the environments were stale. They didn't really prepare players to play at the next level. We've seen, um, you know, the, the national teams uh, on the on the men's side, especially, uh, you know, continually struggle uh, of re- of the last few years uh, to even as. You and qualify for the World Cup in 2018, but even since then, they've not looked very good. Um, and, and, you know, looking at where the landscape is from a development standpoint, uh, there were a lot of critics about, you know, the, the quality of the DA as an environment to adequately develop and produce players. Um, what are your thoughts about the future? What should or could uh, the landscape uh, within youth soccer um, be like, look like that could address some of those issues in terms of, you know, the, the sterile aspects, the stiff, um, you know, way that, that teams played, the style of play. There was, there was seemed to be a lot of, you know, central, um, planning ideas like this is how you train, this is how you play, this is how often you train, this is the style of play, this is this, this is this, and it and it basically that one of the things I kept hearing from referees, from coaches, uh, and others is that the players were just not uh, coming out of the development academy developed. They weren't really ready to go in and and battle and fight and and play for the badge. Um, looking at the future, what are some opportunities uh, of lessons to be learned there that could help improve the devi- the the development environments uh, for clubs and players going forward? Well, I think one of the things that was a was a side effect is that while the DA was certainly not in every uh, geographical location, there were some states that didn't even have a development academy to go to. Uh, there were other areas that probably had too many development academies, and the market was oversaturated with them. I can tell you, you know, my 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 youngest plays in the DA, and one of the complaints that I got a lot from parents was the level of competition is just not there because there was too many DA teams, and so. Some clubs, they, they just, they took players to fill spots and, and whether or not that player was at that level or not. And so I think, you know, what we need to have is we need to have a true pyramid based off of meritocracy, right? And it's on, you know, competition on the field. And to play at the highest level, you have to get through the various layers in the pyramid. But yet when you get to the top of the pyramid, there's very few, right? And, and, you know, right now, you know, if you look at the, the U.S., the MLS for the men, the NWSL for the women, those are our tops of the pyramid, right? They're the, they're the, they're the, they're the, they're the biggest, most prominent national leagues that we have. And so that's where people need to be aspiring to get to. And what we need to do is create 
a consistent pyramid that everyone is feeding into and based off of your merit gets you up up the ladder bit so to speak um not everybody is going to 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 get to the top and that's okay uh, you know i mean there's 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 certainly you know a place for players to play in the mls and nwsl but not everyone gets there but it doesn't mean that you haven't achieved anything in the sport there's still plenty of places for you to go on you could go on and play in college you could be a division one, two or three player and have a great experience playing. Maybe you can go and get a scholarship so that, you know, your, your education is, is free. And we should be encouraging that. Um, some of the players, you know, through the MLS and NWSL drafts do get drafted into those leagues. And so after their college careers are over, they do become professionals. But then if you don't, you know, there's nothing wrong with playing, you know, in, in a USL league. You know, the USL is still very competitive. I've gone to some USL games and, 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 and sometimes they're a little bit more exciting than MLS games to see because the players are a little bit more hungrier because they're trying to get to that next level and they're trying to get noticed. And, and so by creating that competition, you're going to create players that want it more and the players that want it more and have the talent will continue to move up and they're going to continue to, to challenge each other. And if you're never setting the bar to be a little bit higher, players will get comfortable and they won't continue to challenge themselves. And so we need to find a way of continually challenging to get players that want to get to that elite level there. But the pathway is not just for elite players. Certainly we want to see our men's and women's teams compete at the highest level and win, you know, various championships, whether it's Olympics, uh, world cup, et cetera. But we also need to develop good coaches. Not everybody is destined to be a professional player. You can be a great coach. Uh, you can be a referee. We need referees. If we're going to develop the game and grow the game and get more players in the game, we need good coaches. We need good administrators. We need good referees. And so there's, there's a path for everyone. Whether or not you end up on a national team, you need to have you know, the coaching, the, the refereeing, you know, the educational components all go along with it. And just because you're you're not a, a professional caliber player doesn't mean that you can't continue to, to, to give back and continue to try and influence the game. Um, I think I've had a very good career, and I don't think my career in the sport of soccer is over. I was never a professional. I never, I never played professionally. But I've been in this game my entire life. Um, I miss coaching, you know, but uh, my career, my, my day job, doesn't doesn't allow me to do it anymore. But I'm still involved. I'm still I still volunteer. I've been a volunteer. Yeah, I have lost track of how many years I've been volunteering in this game, and I still am. Uh, and I don't have any intention of stopping. So it, there's a place for everybody, uh, and there's nothing wrong with not becoming a professional. So in in terms of um, reducing travel and expenses, this is something that's been talked about a lot. Uh, dealing with families. And, and now we're going to, you know, this pandemic, uh, a lot of families are dealing with unemployment and, and lost wages. Um, and, and they're looking down the road for their kids and soccer and trying to figure out, you know, where does this fit in our family and our budget and, and all of that. And, and U.S. youth soccer is the largest um, youth soccer organization in the country, uh, it has operations in, in all 50 states. 
Uh, and in some states, it's actually split into into two separate organizations, like in California and Texas, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and New York. Um, looking at the, this idea of reducing travel and expenses with it, with the size and scope of U.S. youth soccer, um, what are some things that could be done in this area, as it, at the very least, for the near term? to reduce the financial burden on families who want their kids to have opportunities and access to play, but, uh, you know, can't afford, you know, plane tickets and some of the the costly trips that were incurred uh, by, you know, having to play in the, the DA system. So, you know, first of all, Daniel, my, my heart goes out to all the people that are being impacted right now. I mean, you know, you see the, you know, the, the rate of unemployment claims, you see the, you know, the lines, you know, waiting to get into, you know, food pantries and whatnot. And, and it's just, it's terrible what's going on. Um, and, and, and it's, and it's certainly impactful to a lot of families when we start returning to a sense of normalcy. And I don't think we'll ever go back to being a hundred percent the way it was before, but when we start returning to normal and we're starting to able to venture outside and actually congregate in groups and we can actually start playing again, our focus needs to be on local, local matches, local competition. We're not traveling. We're not, you know, doing the long flights, uh, you know, keep it local, keep it regional. And then, you know, for, you know, the national competitions, you know, you keep those, you keep those national competitions, um, you know, few and far between. I think one of the challenges that, you know, that the DA would have is, you know, the cost to travel, you know, you have to go to DA showcases and, you know, especially, you know, throughout the, throughout the winter, you know, they're in, you know, warmer climate states, you know, Florida, Texas, and, you know, yeah, I love, you know, if you're from the Northeast where I used to live, going to Florida in, in February is great, but not many people are going to have the means, the financial means to do it. And you shouldn't have to feel like you're sacrificing your mortgage payments to go to a, a showcase. So we need to keep the competitions local and regional, focus on, on um, you know, getting back the game focusing on you know just just grassroots tournaments you know let's let's get back and let's start you know sponsoring some local events to get kids out playing again we're all going to be rusty regardless of how much home training you're doing you're going to be rusty so let's just go and have some fun events and and keep them local keep them free uh you know they can be team events or you can just have people you know, put a team together and have a three on three tournament, you know, get five of your mates and, you know, you guys go play three on three, right. And it doesn't take much to do. You just need a field space and you can, you know, there's a lot of local parks you can get it at, but let's do some of those events to get the, get everyone back out there and start doing something we all love and keeping it at a cost that is next to nothing or nothing. Because we want to get people back in the game. We want people to fall in love with the game. They're going to want to play and forget about what's been going on. But at the same time, we have to recognize that so many of our families have been impacted. And, and my heart goes out to them. We can't, we can't put a financial burden on them to choose my son or daughter developing and going to a national tournament. We're making my mortgage. We're putting food on the plate. Like it's, it's just not fair to the families. So we got to keep it local. 
local and then regional. Yeah, I just, you know, when I look at uh, where we are and, uh, you know, this was long before the coronavirus, um, the idea of a 14 year old having to get on a plane to to fly across the country, I, I think one of the problems with American soccer, and this starts at the federation level, um, this isn't specific to U.S. youth soccer, but U.S. youth soccer is a is a big player in this space, in the youth soccer space, and I think they have a big, big role to play here, but U.S. club soccer and other organizations do as well. Um, I think we've got to have a rethink about um, this idea of national. And, and when you look at um, how teams uh, and clubs uh, interact, play, competition, etc., in other countries, um, their countries are a fraction of our size, and yet they still don't travel around their entire country at youth levels. Uh, Barcelona is not regularly traveling to Basque country up north to, uh, to, to play clubs. They, they might you know, see a club or two in, in a tournament, in a special event, but their regular league play and most of their competition at the youth levels are, are coming in their kind of regionalista type of, of environments and, and uh, schedules and, um, you know, geographic areas. Uh, I think one of the things we've got to get as much as we can back in the box, the genie back in the box or back in the lamp uh, is this idea of, of, of national in the way that we traditionally think of national. I I think, you know, if you look at uh, college sports and power conference um, uh, geographic uh, boundaries, um, they're, they're similar. They're not identical, but they're similar to the four regions uh, that are kind of set up, within U.S. soccer and U.S. youth soccer follows that same kind of setup with this, you know, region one, two, three, and four, uh, splitting the country into kind of four zones. I, I really think we should, should look at those four zones almost as if they're four countries and, and then, and then kind of work from there because, um, the idea of, of a Florida team traveling to California at 14 years old is just kind of crazy to me. Um, um, that, that we would even be asking families to make that kind of, uh, you know, financial burden. And, and if we do, it needs to be, you know, so uh, few and far off, you know, just not happening very much that, uh, you know, there could be some fundraising and some other things that could help mitigate the cost or uh, some other creative solutions to that. But, um, you know, I, I think one of the things we should be doing during this downtime is, is having a rethink of how we do the game in this country and not trying to, you know, think of uh, the way that we do it and, and try to do a cut and paste, a copy and paste from another country, learn from the, the countries like Spain and Germany and others that, that do keep their youth programs more local than we do and and their countries are are a fraction of our size i think that's a lesson we we could learn um you know which brings me to to this next question looking at the landscape of where we are what are some you know smarter workable solutions opportunities that uh could come as part of this downtime and in in opportunity to breathe and rethink reimagine the american youth soccer landscape 
Well, I don't disagree with you. I think, you know, one of the challenges, especially at the, you know, the DA level is that, you know, every time you played, it was like you were getting off flight, um, especially for some of the showcases. You know, some of the younger DAs uh, programs, you didn't have to travel as much. But one of the things that really impacts it is tournaments. And people feel like, you know, unless you're traveling out of state for a tournament, you're not playing for a, for a good club. And I think that's a misnomer that, that a lot of people, you know, parents especially think that, well, hey, unless I'm traveling out of state, I'm not playing for a good, 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 good program. But what you're not realizing is that there's a lot of a lot of teams coming to your state for the tournament, right? And what I like about U.S. youth soccer is that we've got 55 state associations in some of our larger states, you know, and you, and you named them off. They're they're split into two, you know, so you get like New York East and West, uh, you know, you've got Cal North and Cal South. Right. And so the, you, you, you have 55 local state associations and some of them, you know, when I was president of New Hampshire, we had one week and, and it was, you know, the New Hampshire soccer league. And, and, and that was the, the only league because we were a small state. Um, but, you know, here in California, you've got a lot of regional leagues because even in Cal North, uh, it, it's the landmass is pretty big. Um, it's, it's, it's a big state out here. And so keeping it local, keeping it to your geographical area, if a young player has to spend more time driving to and from a game than actually playing the game, you're, you're doing something wrong. Um, as players get older, you know, you, you now start having your state cup competitions. And so you, if, if you want to really, you know, become a state champion, you play in your state cup. And if you win your state competition, which is a local competition, and you win your age group and you're the top team from your state, well, you now get to go on to regionals. But it's one team from that state that's going to regionals. And, and you know, for the, for that age group, you know, boys and girls, right? And so now you're going to a state in your region. Um, you know, here we would have been up in, um, in Idaho this past year, we would have been up in, up in Boise and, uh, it was a great, great experience last year. And now, you know, um, you, you'd go into Boise, you'd play. And if you won that tournament and you won your region, then you go to nationals and, and nationals was in, was in, um, would have been in Overland Park, Kansas this year. And, and, you know, we had to cancel it and you know and, and, and u.s youth you know we not only are we the largest soccer organization we are the largest youth sports organization in the country um you know and so a lot of times you know being the largest uh, a lot of decisions that we make people follow and if you and if you look we've had to make the hard decision of canceling some of our tournaments and seems the first time it was very close to um a, a tournament out in las vegas and um, people were up, 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 upset that we canceled it so close. And then we had to cancel the regional and nationals and people aren't happy that we canceled them. And but it's for good reasons, right? Um, we had to make those hard decisions. We were the first to make it. And then you started seeing other sports, other soccer groups that, that, that canceled theirs. Um, but the fact that we have the local organizations, I think is good. The, the challenge comes in is, you know, like I said, all these tournaments that they, they want you to travel to. I mean, that's crazy. Why do you have to travel to all those tournaments? I mean, if you're playing for a national title, you've got your regional, you've got your nationals. You're making like one or two trips, you know, depending upon how far you play. But you got to get through your state first, and it's all local. 
there is so much good competition, you know, within your own region, within your own state. If you're able to win your state and move on, then great. You need to play against more. If you win your region, then you get to go play for a national title. But outside of that, there's just, there's too much money and cost doing the travel. And I think clubs need to pare it back, reduce the number of tournaments that you're going to send your kids to. And that will reduce your overall cost. Your parents have to pay. Uh, you know, the cost of playing a sport in this country is becoming expensive. One of the things that I've, I've said for a long time is we have to lower the cost of the parent. You know, everyone talks about pay to play. There's costs associated. You know, nobody's going to give you fields for free. No one's going to give you uniforms for free. No coach is going to coach for free. I mean, many coaches make their livelihood off of it, right? So those people have to get paid. But why is it a parent that pays it? We should be looking at ways of reducing the cost of the parents so that we can get kids that, you know, have a, have a, have a hard time buying a pair of shin guards the ability to just play. The cost should not be a barrier to entry. Yeah, I you should be able to get I agree. and you should be able to play. And, you know, we have to find and, 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 you know, as we start looking at how the youth landscape changes, you know, how do we find the opportunities to, you know, still pay what we have to pay to, to, to run the organizations, but reduce the cost to the parent themselves, because not every parent can pay, you know, three to $5,000 just for the kid to play, plus all the travel and uniforms and everything else that comes along with it. The youth soccer becomes very expensive. It's like any sport. Any sport is very expensive. Um, I mean, you bought a pair of boots for your kids lately? My God, I don't, I don't spend that much on my own my own shoes. Yeah, so it's, 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 it's crazy. It's crazy. And um, we need to find a way of reducing that cost. And that, to me, is something that we all should be looking at um, from from a youth perspective. Is how do we how do we make how do we make what the parent pays less while not impacting the overall system? So, well, how do we make up the difference? Along those lines of kind of creative, smarter, workable solutions, and I, I agree, reducing the the burden on families is is a key thing. Uh, how can we better protect player health and safety? Uh, you know, there's so many tournaments, so many games, so little rest between matches. Um, you know, Dr. Andrews, I, I've been talking about this recently on the show. Um, Dr. Andrews, uh, the renowned uh, surgeon, uh, worked with Little League Baseball years ago to institute uh, pitch count limits and, and so much required rest for pitchers, uh, depending on the number of they pitch number of pitches they threw, um, you know, on a day would, would then dictate kind of their rest period before they could pitch again in a game um, to try to better protect and curtail the, you know, Tommy John surgery and, and these arm and shoulder injuries that kids were starting to incur. Um, you know, we've seen, um, you know, injuries, we've seen burnout, we've seen players who, you know, are having, you know, soft tissue injuries. Uh, and I think it's a direct result of, of overuse, overextending, uh, you know, being being too tired um, and, and be and, and us asking them to go out and play. And, and as adults, we, if, if you're not out there running around and playing the two, three, four matches uh, it, it's easy to just forget that 
workload that we're asking of these players. But I promise you, I think the rules would change really quick if the administrators were forced to run around and play four games in, in 30 hours. I'm just, I, I think they might get changed after one weekend. Um, in terms of smarter, workable solutions, what what do you think we could be looking at uh, to, to do this better from a player and healthy health and safety standpoint? Well, I think there there certainly needs to be some guidelines, you know, based off of, you know, science and how players develop that uh, we bake in, you know, days of rest. Uh, you know, we, we, we have our trainings, you know, not every training is at a high intensity level, right? You know, you can have like a low intensity training before a match and educating the coaches on that more. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know if it's just an, like an American thing, but you know, we're always trained, like, you know, we're the best. We want to work harder. We, you know, just keep working harder. Like, you know, you know, rub some dirt on it. Right. That's what my father used to tell me when I would get a cut. Um, you know, they, 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 they just keep pushing through and have this perseverance. But, you know, as we start looking at, health and safety of our players, you know, you start taking a look at, you know, finally all the science coming out around concussions and what are concussions really younger players. And so we've put into place, um, you know, protocols around heading the ball and, 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 you know, you're not able to head under a certain age group. Uh, we need more of that and we need more of that education. And, um, yeah, I remember when they first started putting those heading rules and, you know, there was a lot of grumbling about it. It's like, well, I did when I was a kid. And like, well, yes, but that's because we didn't have the science that we did. You know, you used to play hockey without a helmet. Um, I don't think anybody would do that nowadays, right? Because it's just not safe. And so we need to take, you know, a, a, a little bit look just in the, the player safety and what's right for a young player. You know, an, an eight-year-old body is different than a 14-year-old and a 14-year-old is different than a 17-year-old. So what's right? And it's not just, you know, the time that they're playing, but what's the nutrition? What should they be eating? Um, you're right. Going to these tournaments where you play four games, sometimes five games in like a three-day period, it's crazy. And, you know, we just accept it, but, you know, the kids are tired after that. You know, it takes, it, it, it's a physical toll on their, on their young bodies. Um, and, you know, what, what is the right way of doing it? I think, you know, certainly we need to, we need to have some, some people that are smarter than you and I probably tell us, you know, this is, this is what appropriate development is so that we're developing our players and, you know, learn from what other, other countries are doing so that, uh, you know, players are, players are physically safe, but, it, you know, when, when you talk about the safety of players, you know, unfortunately we have to talk about, um, you know, uh, you know, child abuse. Right. And, and, and we've taken a, a, a big stride in this country um, to protect our players from from, um, you know, child predators. And we need to continue to do that because, you know, it's very easy to catch somebody in a database because they've done it before. But, you know, how do you make sure that it doesn't happen the first time? Right. Because once is too many. And so we there's there's more work that I think we need to do. We've taken a big step in in. in you know, helping to protect the players. Um, but uh, there, there needs to be, I think, more done because unfortunately um, there are some very sick people in this society that uh, should not be working with children. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I, and and I know that the Federation has made safe sport a big priority, um, and, and that deals in that area. I, I do uh, hope that in the future we can see some guidelines and regulations regarding, um, you know, rest uh, to, to help better protect our, our youth players uh, going forward. Because uh, later in life, I think it's going to help them from an injury prevention standpoint. Uh, and, it, and it's just an unnecessary uh, workload uh, for sure. Yeah. Um, the, the last uh, thing I want to kind of circle back to here with the DA a- aspect um, is is relating f- financially to families who are, are dealing now with what do we do with with our money? Uh, cl- you know, some so I, some of the fees that have been paid were paid in advance for travel that's not going to take place for events that are not going to happen, uh, etc. Um, you know. Looking at that, what could families do if they're concerned about refunds or credits or, you know, you know, those type of situations? Um, is that reaching out to, you know, their clubs? Is, is, is there anything U.S. Youth Soccer recommends on this side of, uh, of the situation? What are some resources or some help for families who are trying to figure out the aftermath and, and are concerned about uh, those things? Is it having conversations with their coaches, the DOCs? Um, you know, what could they do in a situation where they feel like, hey, we'd like to get some of our, our, our money back, uh, especially on, on services that were not rendered um do you have any recommendations for for any family that that may be in that situation yeah i mean certainly you know from from a larger organizational perspective you know it's still too early to tell what we can specifically do um you know there's there's a lot of things you know contractual that we were obligated to do and so we're still working through that um and so it's too early to say what we can and can't do uh but it's something that you know has come up that we have been discussing, uh, and, and as soon as we have an, a better idea, we will be able to share. But if you're a parent, um, you know certainly, uh, you know most clubs, you know my club included, you, you've pretty much paid for the whole year um, well before the spring season even started, and so you know everything that's due with the spring um, for the majority of parents, you know you've paid for as you said a service that's not going to be rendered, whether it's you know tournaments you're going to go to, state cup. Um, uh, just your league play, you know, all of that you've paid for, um, but you weren't able to get the services because of it. Uh, the best thing that you can do is, is, um, you know, either send an email to your club and just ask like, Hey, you know, what's your policy going to be and, or B just pick up the phone. And, and I get to think that, you know, a lot of clubs are probably in the same position as, as, you know, like we are, you know, we're still trying to understand like, all right, what did we already commit ourselves to that we still are obligated to pay? Can we work with them on not having to pay it given the circumstances? You know, do we have insurance that's going to cover any of this? Like there's so many unknowns that are going on right now. I mean, like most people don't have pandemic insurance. Right. And so, you know, it's with governors coming out with new rules every day. I mean, I work in the workers comp industry and every day I'm finding like four or five new things coming across my desk where governors from different States are just, you know, issuing, issuing edicts via fiat. And so um, have a little patience with your club um, and, and, you know, talk to them. They're, they're, they're good people. Uh, they're, they're, they're going to be empathetic to your situations. Uh, and, and if, you know, certainly if, 
you've paid for something and you're out of work, you know, they'll probably work with you to try and find a way to make you whole um, and, uh, you know, help you out. Because, you know, everyone has you know, a lot of people that are affected by this and it's no fault of their own. So uh, best thing to do is just, you know, send an email or pick up the phone and call whoever's in charge of your club's finances and explain your situation and, and see if they have a policy or if they don't have a policy, if they can at least get you a refund um, uh, for, because everyone should be do something. And I think, you know, each club is going to have their own, you know, financial circumstances that they have to deal with as well. And, and, and as, as each person will and, um, one thing I would say with, with, with all that's going on right now is just have a little patience. Uh, this is unprecedented. It's uncharted territory for so many of us. Um, and having a quick answer for it, sometimes that may not be a quick answer. So pick up the phone and call, but have a little patience as well. And I think at the end of the day, everyone's going to do the right thing to make everyone whole. Yeah, I, I, I would uh, I would echo that. You know, reach out to your local clubs, uh, start there, and uh, and work from there. Hopefully, you can find an amicable uh, solution. I know everyone's dealing with this uh, in their own way, trying to figure out what the, the present looks like, but also what the future looks like. And, uh, Tom, I really appreciate you spending some time with us today on the show to kind of give your thoughts on the current situation and uh, the aftermath and kind of looking into the future, some possibilities uh, of where this thing could go and and uh, some workable solutions for the future so appreciate your time thanks for coming on the show look forward to having you back on again soon daniel thank you it was great talking with you and uh yeah always always glad to come on the the show and uh, talk with you Appreciate it. That is Tom Sawinski, uh, board member with U.S. Youth Soccer. We'll be right back right after this. No one, no man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs with algae, with disease in it. Bad water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly transforms them. It changes everything. Now you could know that you've made a difference. You could know that you had truly impacted the lives of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens. Welcome back into the show. Thanks for uh, tuning in today. Big thanks to Tom Sawinski for joining us of U.S. Youth Soccer, um, talking about where we are, where we could be going, some ideas about how to uh, fix some things within the American soccer landscape. So thanks, uh, thanks to Tom for that. Again, tomorrow we're going to get into some more of these details of the DA, MLS, uh, North Carolina FC, the ECNL, 
etc. Look forward to bringing you uh, more info on that tomorrow. Thanks for watching. We'll see everyone again tomorrow.